0: Welcome to The Boomlex Show, episode number 25, today with Paul Kemp Robertson from Contagious. Contagious believes that creativity wins. In fact, when it comes to successful marketing, creativity kicks the living crap out of non-creative work. It's that simple. That's what Paul wrote on the Contagious.com website, and that's what we are talking about. If this is really true, where are the good examples of marketing today – What are worst practices of marketing today and can it be applied to B2B marketing? The Womlek show is presented to you by Debt Agency and Spryker Systems, the e-commerce technology everybody in Europe is talking about right now. The moderators are Lena Hackeler, based in Stockholm, Wilhelm Blom, based in Amsterdam, and me, Alexander Graf. Now please learn why marketing needs more creativity. Hi, Paul. Welcome to the Womlek Show today out of a camper uh, in Amsterdam. (laughs) Uh, We are talking today about marketing and what you found out about uh, marketing Mm -hmm. with your um, agency. So please tell our listeners uh, who you are and who you're working for. Okay.
1: Well, hello. Thanks for having me. Um, My name is Paul Kemp-Robertson. I'm based in in London. And I'm the co-founder of a company called Contagious. And we were founded in 2004. So my background was um, working in the trade press within advertising and then working within advertising agencies. And I just kind of figured that at the time there was a bit of a disconnect between the way that consumers have suddenly started um, behaving in terms of how they were creating content, moving away from um, traditional advertising. And um, we just felt there was space within the advertising industry to create a kind of satellite navigation guide for the future of the business. So I think when we started, things like Facebook and YouTube were, were bubbling up. They weren't quite fully-fledged companies. Phones were starting to get a little bit more smart. And I just felt that the, the kind of trade press and the advertising industry hadn't really adjusted to the fact that there was a lot of activity going on 180 degrees away in terms of new startups, new behaviors, and so on. So um, we set up an editorial resource called Contagious. So originally, it was in magazine format, with a, with a DVD oh. kind of folded in. When was it? <laughs> um, when 2000, started... 2004. 2004
0: so, uh, it was still was a yeah. time when, uh, when a magazine with DVDs uh, was, yeah. <laughs> it was a big deal. Well, I
1: think that allowed us... We Originally, we were thinking, well, we should go digital because everything was moving towards digital yeah. as a platform. Um, but we figured that by having an editorial product in physical paper form, um, it, that became our brand. So we spent a lot of money, time and investment building yeah. a quarterly magazine. that was quite kind of beautiful, but also... Um, editorially quite rigorous uh, and it was this kind of thing where we felt people would remember us it was our brand message as well as uh, a communication platform and th- the concept was look you know there's so much kind of change and disruption a lot of noise a lot of opinion um we will look at a thousand things and we'll talk to you about m- maybe less than a hundred so we'll filter it down we'll look at stuff that's creative effective innovative that is going to drive the industry forward that you can learn from so i think the the original premise was that um you know basically creativity kicks the crap out of non-creative work it's effective it's efficient it makes fame for your brand and so on so it's worth kind of focusing on that kind of one to five percent of of output from the advertising industry because that that's the stuff that's basically changing yeah. changing the world changing categories moving consumers into different directions and so on so yeah
0: so who, who you're helping do you help mm-hmm. other agencies to do better marketing or you help brands yeah. to find out what kind mm-hmm. of marketing strategies work for them
1: but both to be honest so we, we sort of position ourselves as, a, as an intelligence and advisory resource. Yeah. So the way that, that, I mean, obviously, you know, this is 2004, um, that we were kind of £1,000 a year B2B um, resource. Um, and the reason that we could charge that sort of amount of money was because of the DVDs. We would look, as I say, maybe focus on 100 campaigns and really dig very deep and look at the, the challenge facing the brand. So you had to pay
0: €1,000 to buy your magazine yeah. per year.
1: Yeah, so as a subscription. Um, but the, the value of the subscription really lay in what, Sat in the DVD, which is also available on the website. So that's like, we've, we've, we've filtered, we've trawled, we found, like, we're saving you a lot of time. Um, by looking at as I say a thousand things yeah. and focusing on just the very very best that was always our yep. kind of mission um, but we looked at what, what the, the challenge facing the company and um, what the solution was from a creative and media point of view but also the effectiveness so right from the very start that was something that was drilled into me when I worked uh, at Leah Burnett for, for six years was that correlation between creativity and effectiveness so we weren't just showing ideas for the sake of it that were jumping on bandwagons that were quite gimmicky it was all about right this has to be rooted in a strong business strategy as well as you know having kind of results out of that that creativity. And what had
0: changed so far? So if you look back in 2004, when you first realized YouTube is mm. going to be very successful, um, I think that was the uh, in 2004, a YouTube uh, a YouTube person wasn't called influencer like today. It was right. blogger, video blogger. Yes, yes. And uh, and uh, and then I think Facebook became famous in Germany mm. 2000. 2007, 2008, so nice. though it wasn't even there in 2004. Mm. And if you look at your customers today, the, what what mm. has really changed? Do, do they really change their marketing mm. approach, or is it just their pro- mm-hmm. approach on how they measure um, channels mm. and it's how worse. they how they uh, how they uh-huh. uh, split their marketing money mm. to TV, radio, Facebook, which mm. is now dying. Yeah, uh, in, uh, <laughs> don't uh, tell them uh, that. it's now in, <laughs> Instagram or uh, right. or TikTok or others. Yeah, exactly.
1: I think what we found um, is that it's an, it's an incredibly complex time to be working in marketing. I think it's the most kind of challenging. One of the most challenging roles that there is because there's been so much diversification and new channels and and so on. So what we found is that if you look at the role of a marketer pre 2004 versus now, just that what they're expected to know and to keep their hands on is, is just, is incredible. You know, so you've still got the, the traditional forms of mass media advertising is very much part of the, of the job. You know, it's still about making your brand famous and you can do that through reach and mass marketing, being part of the culture. Um, but then equally there are now all of these other platforms. So it's, 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 it, I think, you know, that from a, an executive point of view, being a marketer in, in the current climate is probably one of the most challenging jobs around because there's also that demand from, from CEOs and CFOs for constant kind of quarterly results and reporting and so on. So I think that what works best, um, is when you kind of, prioritize people i mean it's something that we we talk about in the in the the book that we wrote last year and the contagious commandments where we find that the best ideas not those that are sort of focused on right what are our KPIs? what's in it for us let's ask what's in it for them if you make marketing ideas that feel a bit more reciprocal that people can kind of have an opinion on and share people like the customers you
0: want to you want to win for your brand then yeah
1: yeah. And I think also that the actual definition of, of advertising has started to change so that, um, it's not obviously, you know, it, it for a long time, it hasn't just been this kind of monologue from a distance. It's much more two way, much more of dialogue. Um, but I think that the best kind of advertising approaches are where you start to build maybe experiences for, for customers, consumers, people. I hate the word consumers. We try and avoid it as much as if, possible. If, if, if I was, um...
0: a, if I was a C, CFO, uh, from a, like a, a bigger brand following mm. the discussion here, I would say, yeah, that's nice for people, mm. but, you know, eventually you want to make like revenue. So yeah. please tell me how much how much from my total revenue should I right. should spend on marketing mm-hmm. on which channels? Right. And then we figure out what kind of creativity uh, stuff can be make for <laughs> yeah. I uh, mean, per I think it, there,
1: there is still like a big chunk which is now focused on on really targeted hyper personalization, um, where there is a, a, a definite feedback loop in terms of effectiveness and results so i think a lot of brands are now moving into into personalization at scale and that's across you know kind of digital platforms and, and mobile working? platforms i think it's early days you know i think it, it can work i think if you get the targeting um really kind of well defined well nuanced and it's relevant and there's there's kind of a reciprocal agreement there i think where you start to lose possibly some of the the long-term benefits of advertising is <clears throat> by just this relentless focus on the short-term. Um, I think that it's a question of balance. So I think, you know, there's, there's practitioners, um, say in the UK, there's the Institute of Practitioners in Advertising. And they do all these studies looking at the correlation between creativity and effectiveness and stuff. And something that's, that, that sort of keeps coming out is that there has to be a balance um, between, they sort of recommend 60-40, between... Long-term, famous brand-building advertising—that's going to kind of, you know, um, go across the traditional channels and and, and make your brand kind
0: of Mm awareness-building top of the funnel. Yeah, yeah.
1: And 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 then the and then the forty is more of the the short-term, the programmatic, the the the. the, um, but I think the more you sort of get involved in, in personalization, which is where that...
0: Can, 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 can we stick here like for, right. like for a minute? So because it gives like... Mm. I, I will take like Devil head here and, mm. and try to try to, try to to um, put me in a position of a CFO. Right. Like this 60-40, where does it come from? Mm. Because if I was a CFO, I would say, fuck awareness. Yeah. Right. So I only want <laughs> results and right. selling stuff. And mm-hmm. you know... Paul, by selling stuff, it, it also creates awareness. Why should right. I invest in uh, <laughs> a big, uh, a big ad space in magazines or uh, mm. or, 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 um, or on the street? Uh, or, I, I'd like or, or to go one hundred percent performance performance mm-hmm. based. Right. Uh, I, I'd rather go like ten percent awareness, ninety percent sales.
1: Right. I think if you focus relentlessly on, on the short term, then it becomes like this dog chasing its tail um, because it's all about results and then if you manage to kind of have a successful sales activation yeah. then how do you keep on consistently delivering sometimes that means if your competitors start to to replicate what you're doing you've got to sort of cut again um do discounting and so on and i think in the end you sort of lose that that impact of long-term brand building we talk about um contagious this um theory of what we call agile long-termism i think is the best sort of solution for for companies it's something like amazon a brilliant at for instance in in the, you think that they're they're they have a very strong organising principle. It's something that we kind of focus on um, a lot in our book. It's like for chapter one, basically. Is it like brands who've got a very strong organising principle, which is their North Star. It's their reason for being. It's why we're here. So if you look at something like Patagonia, the, the clothing yeah. company, their actual organising principle or mission statement is to um, use the business, the, the money they make through business to help save the planet. That's like a very bold, ambitious kind of mission statement. Everything they do is focused around that which then allows them to get into all sorts of um new areas that take them away from just traditional kind of brand building um so they've done things like make the world's most sustainable beer for instance mm. um because they think the industry is not doing it you know so we're going to show you how to do it so they've created this 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 beer that's um uses a slight particular <clears throat> grain of wheat that um, is um is is longer it doesn't mean that the, the topsoil's not cut up it sequesters carbon and so on so they're saying like we're going to give you an example yeah. to the rest of the industry, off you go. Um, <clears throat> they, they've, they've now started challenging Donald Trump. Um, they, they're suing the US government administration because um, they're trying to um open um, vast tracts of, of, of land um, in America. So all these sort of state monuments, state national parks are suddenly open and available for cra- fracking and commercial exploitation. And Patagonia are actually challenging the government, saying the president is stealing your land. They're, they're backing democratic candidates who stand in, in states that are being threatened by the government. Do you so, think
0: it's a, smart move? Yeah? it's a smart move to get mixed up into yeah. political discussions as a brand?
1: I think that the way society is so fractured you know there's so many ext- extremities between left and right and politicized cultures and so on that I think that that brands have to take a point of view I think that, to me um the strongest brands and the ones with the the the, the kind of most um sort of powerful cultures over the long term mm. will get involved um, I think Patagonia is you know on, on, on one extreme um but I think people want to relate, they, they, they almost kind of respect brands that they feel they can trust them. As if you look at what happened with Nike, for instance, on the Colin yeah, Kaepernick yeah. debate is that the, Phil Knight, their founder came out and said, look, if you don't stand for something, you stand for nothing. You know, it's better to have people with you and those that don't believe in you. So also we don't need them. You know, the, I think that's where you know, if you stand for nothing, you're gonna have no one following you kind of thing. And I, I feel as though brands are in this weird unique position because they have a lot of cultural power through you know, that their media dollars, their positions in supermarkets, in, in people's consciousness, that um they've got a position to actually take a point of view on on stuff, anything from sexual equality
0: to to politics, to race. And yeah, okay. uh, yeah I think that that so, so you so you say better. Get in the discussions with the risk of losing some customers instead of uh, not being mentioned at all.
1: Yeah. And also potentially those, those customers that you do kind of appeal to will stay loyal to you because they believe in what you stand for and so on. So, okay, uh, got it. And you've, you've,
0: you've you've, you've tried to summarize Mm -hmm. some of your learnings in your book. So, Mm -hmm. and, 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 and assume I'm like the (laughs) not so smart. CMO, former CFO, right. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, trying to understand what kind of principles I should apply for my uh, consumer brand, and maybe we can uh, uh, we can uh, we can have after after you summarize your principles uh, mm. a small discussion about B two B marketing uh, yeah, if okay. this can be applied there too. Uh, but what is it about? Can you tell me mm. a little bit? Okay,
1: well, the book is called The Contagious Commandments. Um, the subtitle is Ten Steps to Brand Bravery. Um, so <clears throat> we think that. Creativity has got a disproportionate effect. So therefore, um, the book is about trying to encourage marketers to take calculated risks um, in terms of how they deploy creativity, and that's across every media channel and, and so on and experience. Um, so it's, it's it's basically ten principles that will help them them get there. So from anything like you know, the, the first chapter I mentioned is is to have an organising principle. So that's a very very strong sense of why we're here, what we do. It allows you to be kind of. Um, agile or in, in the short term, but very, very concentrated with that long term strategy. So an example would be Amazon. Their, their organizing principle is to be the most customer centric company in the planet so mm. everything that they do is around convenience and speed that's relentless they're never going to change from that but what that policy does is then allow them to take risks and experiment um so if you think about what, what they're doing with retail and, and and um you know one hour delivery they're looking at drones they're getting all these sort of patents yeah. for blimps where now they can actually start to anticipate people's needs and almost have like drone delivery systems in the sky but they're also prepared to make mistakes so things like those dash buttons that they did where you can suddenly stick a, a dash button on your washing machine that through a nfc bluetooth technology every time you run out of washing powder you click it and it orders some washing powder for you things like that didn't work you know but they're prepared to to take risks in 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 the short term um we look at how do you weaponize your audience i think is another kind of important chapter where we're saying well look people who um in the world of you know influences and social media and and so on it's, it's good to feel as though you're connected that you've got access to material that you want to be seen to be the first to get stuff or to have exclusive experiences so as a brand what can you give your people that are interested in you content platforms invitations experiences that they can have which then kind of amplify your brand because they they will tell you spread your message and talk about and and so on but also feel like as though they're involved in the brand they have a perspective and a point of view um we have another section looking at things like um which is what I'm gonna be talking today at the festival about is um heretical questions. I think it's a very powerful um kind of position to have is is that um I think by asking unorthodox difficult questions it's how you stand out within the category. Um For so, example
0: can you give an example?
1: Yeah, so some of the cases we've got um, would be something like Burger King, um, for instance, in the US. So they're a challenger brand to McDonald's and they have this very simple brief, um, which was to get people to um, download more apps. You know, because they're realizing that as a, as, as a trend and within the food sector, more and more people are online yep. ordering the food. So, and if they're not in that space and they're not growing in that space, then they're going to lose their yep. competitive edge. But obviously they're against McDonald's, which has got twice as many restaurants as them in the US. So what I love, and this is where I, we sort of talk about the way that advertising is evolving and becoming more innovative, um, is that their, their CMO who spoke at one of our events last year was saying that if he's not given ideas that keep him awake at night or ideas that he needs to talk to a lawyer about, he rejects them. He's not interested. So mm-hmm. it's a really powerful position good, to take.
0: That's a good rule for marketing. So marketing <laughs> yeah, I a, know. Where they're a legal department. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah.
1: So uh, so they did an idea, for instance, where um, FCB, their agency in, one of their agencies in the US, basically said, right, we have this fantastic idea. And again, it takes a lot of time, energy, logistics, and um, risk, where they said, right, we have this, this idea that in order to download a Burger King app, we are going to geofence something like 14,000 mcdonald's restaurants so the heretical question is can we drive our business by sending our consumers to our biggest competitor so what happened was they geofenced these restaurants so that if you downloaded the burger king app within 600 meter radius of a mcdonald's it would fire up recognize where you were through the geolocation and allow you to go to the nearest burger king which they could direct you to via maps and you could buy a burger for a cent Hmm. So that was the you know the sort of provocative, brave move. So you ended up with situations where you've got people walking to McDonald's going, where's the nearest Burger King? Um, and trying to ask for flame grill whoppers in McDonald's, really it out. really worked. Because what happened, it generated a lot of hype. So people talked about it, it got on the news, it got on CNN, the usual kind of yeah. stuff. But what they found happened from an ROI perspective is that people would rock up with the app at the local Burger King, get their burger for a cent. They'd have four friends with them, they'd buy a drink, you know, whatever. Um, and they found that there's the sort of ROI on that campaign It was only like an eight-week campaign. It was about 27 to 1, which is... Phenomenal. And what they found was the that the long term direct ROI was 27.1.
0: So, not, in, not including like the, the long term effects of the campaign? No,
1: that was the, the actual sort of sales activation. But what they found was they were like number one app in the category for, for weeks and weeks afterwards. That there was the residual benefit that people actually had the app on their phone. That's, that's what the ultimate brief was. And in the olden days, that would have been a radio ad, a TV ad, the usual, you know. Whereas now, that's the, that's the challenge with facing the advertising industry is to come up with the, these ideas that are brave and provocative and stand out and but people love it because there is that you think and this is why it's good from a b2b perspective as well is that ultimately humans are humans you know they love a challenge they love you know kind of doing something different and i think people actually love the quest of of unlocking this thing and they would tell their friends and and share photos and whatever so it became a campaign that 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 people could co-opt into um, so the amount of, of stuff around Instagram and WhatsApp or whatever about people getting into this yeah. campaign was actually quite interesting, I think. So. That's cool. Okay. That was the yeah. third
0: principle. I tried to, I have a, we have a one or two main competitors in our B2B in, industry. Mm-hmm. I need to think about, right. uh, I need to think about that. But, <laughs> but that's like a strategy where you need. Really, really lots of customers, uh, then it works out. If you're like, like in B2B, yeah. you're often target like only 1,000, 2,000 people. Right. Uh, per region, then it doesn't work out. Right. Uh,
1: well, no, so. then you look at niche interests and you look at, I think within that sort of space, you would think as a brand, well, what can we do that we can offer unique experiences? I think that's another thing that, um, a lot of people really kind of almost expect from brands now, I think. Um, So that is something where it's it's probably kind of easy to scale at a smaller level. So say if you've got a thousand key customers that you're chasing, then what could you do to them that no one else is doing? Mm -hmm. What privileged access can you give them to an event or I don't know something? So you you start to look along those kind of lines. What are their interests and how do we how do we tap into that? You know. So you look at the passion points. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I I try and treat people as people. I I, I I still
0: try to I still try to figure out what what is like the. CMO, former CFO, nice. <laughs> uh, uh, needs to need to do right now. Though the, mm. the, one of the main problems, and we, we just talked before we started the podcast about mm. it, that there's now so many channels and so so many people that try to scream uh, into the market and try to convince mm. customers. Uh, 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 the app industry, for example, you have to mm. invest a lot, like uh, marketing for your app in the app stores mm. itself, right. just that it shows up. Uh, then there's yeah. so many pirates trying to uh grab your spot by uh, mm. trying to create an app with a s- similar logo similar yeah. naming so it's very mm. hard to, to to reach the customer so if there is, there, is there an answer uh for that. Mm. Is there anything you, you you could focus on today because like the the common principles are getting so fast common principles now that mm-hmm. every strategy that Involved the lawyer like last week. It's now like a, a, a mm-hmm. strategy everybody does in the industry, right? and, to and copy. then it's going to die like in two weeks, right?
1: I think I mean some of it boils down to the fundamentals that will never ever change. Is that what does your company, your app, your service offer that is better and different? So they still think it's like you have to focus on making sure that you're yeah, you're the not, best. That's
0: not, but that's not working out <laughs> because let's take your example with Burger King, and McDonald's. Yeah. The Burger King burger is not better at all. The well, strategy, they would, how to customer, the <laughs> they would strategy, argue it is because it's flame-grilled it's yeah, yeah, it and, it and so on. So, so a, uh, yeah, The strategy <laughs> of marketing was cool. Right. So it, the, the product did not need to be better. That's <laughs> right. a cool thing, though. That's right. a very good strategy. If you yeah. have a better product, then right. you can probably rely on traditional sales. Yeah, but,
1: but what I mean is, is that you've still got to fundamentally have a decent product in the first place. So don't lose sight of that and invest time and energy in that. Yeah. When it comes to all of the, the competition... I mean, it's tricky because it's an absolute swamp out there. Um, so what we talk about um, is is to try and... How do you think about creating blue ocean space? So if you're talking about that red ocean where everyone's you know yeah. competing, whatever, is to come up with ideas where no one else is. Um, so, I mean, it's very hard to, to compete in the app store in terms of look lookalikes and so right. on, but it's almost like you've got to get people's attention to actually want to go in and find you in the first place. So what can you do outside of the app store? What kind of ideas could you... How could you target people that you're interested in in a different space where they're not expecting you, where your competitors aren't? I think that's sometimes a way to go. So I don't know, an example, slightly tangential, but in the book we talk about um, from from France, from a supermarket, um, well, I say from an airline who collaborated with the supermarket. So the airline is Transavia, um, which is a kind of budget, it's a bit like EasyJet, it's kind of okay. a, a, a budget airline out of France and Belgium, I think. And they were finding that when it came to... Um, people booking so they, they would go online to try and book a flight yeah. once you start to, to to look at um flight options you get you get lost in this in this absolute kind of red ocean of price competitive hell as they called it so they would be competing against like 10 other competitors it's all about price it's all about lowest common denominator it's all kind of you know a race to the bottom so they think right, how do we get away from this this bloodbath so they had this idea where they collaborated with Carrefour, and that's where i think a lot of um potential options exist within the b2b space just as much as a consumer space is that it's that one plus one equals three argument what can you do as a brand by collaborating with another brand outside of your space ah, okay. to get to a really interesting solution that benefits both yeah, of you yeah. so in this case what Tran, um, transavia did was they created a series of products so like gummy bears crisps um, nuts sodas which they badged and branded as Transavia products. But they sold them within the supermarket, within like a dedicated space within the supermarket. And each thing would cost something like 35, 45 euros. So you're used to to paying three euros or four euros for a bag of crisps or whatever. Suddenly it's 35, 45. But there was a city destination. So the gummy bears might be called Barcelona. The 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 chips might be called Lisbon. But it meant that when you went to the till, the checkouts, and bought them, it unlocked a code that was hidden in the packaging. And that code became a ticket. So you could literally walk with a bag of crisps that had Lisbon on it and take it to a Transavia check-in desk and fly to Lisbon with that product. So they were saying it was a nice way of kind of reframing. Um, oh, okay. So a nice anchoring bias. They tried to have it where these displays were in the alcohol sections, for instance. So suddenly compared to a bottle of champagne, that was the same price as being able to fly... Paris. So they, they they found that they got a lot of attention. They got some new customers. They got the sense where Transavia were not competing against ten other airlines in this space. So it's a, so things like that, as an example, shows you that you can get you know in the supermarket benefited because they got you know. I've I have,
0: I have one last question uh, uh, again for the CFO. So right. let's, let, let's assume we have uh, we have agreed on on the split awareness versus uh, right. uh, um, 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 specific selling budget. Uh, I would rather go with thirty percent awareness now as a former CFO and. Right. Are there splits you can, in general, recommend So when it comes to uh, traditional channels, radio, TV, whatever, and digital channels? Um,
1: I think the way it's it's gone, because it has been this relentless focus on on short-termism and programmatic and and hyper-personalization, that (laughs) it's almost, to me, it should be 75-25 in this sense that 75 should go on... Awareness. Awareness. Um, And and 25 on on, on short-termism. Because ultimately, I think that you have to think about fame and you've got to think about um, that kind of logging the memory and the association that people have around your brand in people's heads. Because they've got a huge amount of choice. And I think you've got to go, you've got to build a mass because people aren't as loyal as you think they are um they'll be they'll be driven by you know kind of sales offers and promotions and so on so it's almost like well how do you keep in the long term investing in that brand and making it stand out so when people do come to make a choice and they can see various options it's like whatever memory structure they've got in their head whatever association um still has uh, has an impact and i think that's something that people lose sight of um so it's almost like you know, I, I agree that there is a benefit to to hyper-targeted, you know, kind of personalization at scale, if it's relevant. Um, but ultimately, where brands, I think, this is, I'm talking from a consumer brand point of view, where they, where they work best is where they become, they're sort of part of culture. They're part of the cultural conversation. They're part of, you know, they have a social kind of agenda and so on. And that comes from, from fame. It comes from being part of a conversation. So if you're given a, an experience that is so individual, so targeted, you can't talk to anybody about it. It doesn't mean anything. So you've still got these moments. It doesn't have to be a TV commercial, but I still think that there's, there's very little. Else in the world that has got so much kind of emotional, creative yeah. and communicative power as that 30 seconds of film or it could be a YouTube video, it could be whatever. But those are the things that imprint in people's brains, they can talk about, they can share. Um, uh, and that sometimes gets lost in the argument about this, this, this rush towards... Um,
0: I, would I will listen to what you right. tell. Uh, <laughs> I'm the talking audience, from a consumer
1: point of view. Right. I mean, I think from a B2B point of view, um, it's probably a slightly different ratio. But why, <laughs> you know, I think why not try 50 50, for instance? So that rather than doing, I mean, obviously, you're not saying about going creating TV commercials, but it's looking at alternatives, it's looking at experiences, it's looking at partnerships, it's looking at um, just trying to do stuff that feels a little bit unique. That sometimes, I mean, some of the stuff that we talk about in the book, it, there's. <laughs> it takes a lot of work and a lot of attitude and energy and it, it feels as though you're you know you're smashing the status quo or, or doing stuff that's different and that's hard because i think people hate uncertainty you know they're sort of hardwired to avoid risk and so on but sometimes it's those ideas that are a bit maverick that do stand out can pay off kind of disproportionately in, in, in the long run
0: i need to think a little bit about about that mm. if this is applicable uh to b2b i think right. yes partly but still, maybe have like a, a CFO heart a little bit more yes. louder. Yes, uh, <laughs> right. Paul, thanks yes. for your time. Thank uh, you very good much. Good luck with the Depth uh, Festival. <laughs> Thank uh, you. Today, maybe we can do a follow-up on uh, B2B. Yeah, us. absolutely. Thank thanks you very much. Okay. I hope you liked that episode. And now you're buying the book, The Ten Contagious Commandments, Ten Steps to Brand Bravery, authored by Paul Kemp Robertson and Chris Bass. And in the next episode, you can listen to the founder of Hello Print, Hans Scheffer, and we are talking about the online printing platform business. There are not so many platforms in Europe. He grew his platform to over 50 million in revenues last year and he's growing at a staggerous rate. and it's very interesting what he has to say about the online printing industry. See you back.